0: Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message that they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. We pray they will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray Amen. Family, lift up your Bibles. to say this confession together. We always want to have our confession before we get into the word of God. Say this with me. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out. Into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable, it is the truth, it is divine, it is the Word of God, and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, the last time we were together, we kind of gave an image of our vision for 2023. And that vision for 2023 was spot on with the vision for 2022. We had already been walking that path, even though we were not actually having messages that identified those particular categories specifically. Here are those categories once again, though, and here's the vision before you. The categories are rebuild, restore, re-engage. And each one of those categories has a group of scripture references to them, And specifically, we went through a more expanded discussion, a quick discussion, expansion on restore. And restore there has Psalm 139, Hebrew 13, and Luke 22. Because the simple word restore is not good enough to give you an idea of what we mean there by restore. Therefore, we went to this expanded discussion on restore last week. Here it is a little bit modified, but you've seen this last week in general. When we say restore, we don't mean that that just has a single dimension to it. There are three things that we want to restore. We want to restore your confidence in God that he is there no matter the circumstance, situation or condition, knows exactly who you are knows what you're going through, cares, and is not mismanaging your life. The second dimension is we want to restore your confidence in the belief that your life, your life, your life is worth living. The third one is restore others' confidences in God and confidence that their life too it's worth living. And going through this last week, not only were we trying to give a more robust, understand, robust understanding of what restore means, it was very purposeful. It was very purposeful because you see how on the right hand side there we restate the order of the vision. The vision has rebuild, restore, reengage. Well, I'm not walking you through those categories in that order. We're starting with restore. Why are we starting with restore? We're starting with restore. And remember, this is my walking you through those. Someone else could come up with a different rationale for why we should do these in an alternate order. But for me, the first step is to restore, to restore confidence. It's the first step because family, until you restore confidence, you can't really reengage. You have to restore confidence in God, that God is there, that God cares, that God knows you, Confidence that your life is worth the darn, confidence that other people are worth it as well, before you even think about reengaging. The idea of reengaging doesn't even get any momentum until confidence is restored. Let me give you an example. Let's say a woman has a bad marriage, gets out of that marriage. That woman is in no rush to re-engage the institution of marriage again until she has confidence again in that institution. You will hear people say, I'll never get married again. Marriage don't work. Marriage is an is a old time, old back in the day thing. Marriage doesn't work today man gets out of a bad marriage, you got to restore his confidence in marriage first before he thinks about reengaging that institution again. For anyone who's a parent, if you've ever had a child do bad in a class and they've lost confidence, they can do math or do, do I don't even know how they do English this, these days, if they even teach writing anymore. I, I don't know because I've seen some writing for some young people and it seems like a, a big paragraph of text messages. But if you have a child who does bad in a subject over and over, or somehow they thought they were going to get a good grade and they didn't, and they lose confidence, if you hope for them to re-engage that subject again like you really believe they can, you will have to first restore their confidence that they can. We talk about restore first because in order to reengage, you have to first restore confidence. When we say reengage, I want to make sure we're still all on the same page, though. Reengage, sometimes when people think of reengage, they think about somebody who's sedentary, who's not doing nothing, who's not engaging life. And as we, come, as we came out of that COVID era, we did have some of that, people that have decided to isolate themselves. I'm not coming out again. The world's a dangerous place. But when I say re-engage, I'm talking about we are to re-engage life God's way. There are a lot of people who are engaging life just not in God's way. They're not sedentary. They're not doing nothing. They're just not doing it God's way. There are people who have come out of, for example, the season that we came out of with COVID and isolation, they came out of that season or a season of of undesired events or activities. They came out of that season, still engaged in life, but they engage it angry. They engage it, engage it with a vindictive heart. They engage it hurt, scared, afraid, timid, not God's way. Bold, Not God's way with kindness, not God's way with a giving heart. They are engaging life, but they're not engaging it God's way. When we talk about engage, we're talking about reengaging. And in a sense, someone who is not doing anything, get engaged. But if you're not doing it God, God's way, change that and reengage God's way. We begin with restore family, because until you have a restored confidence, although you have the potential to re-engage, you will likely keep that potential latent. It won't happen. In other words, say this with me. Say, a restored confidence confidence. is the sperm sperm. to re engagement Ovum, when you think about it, if you look at reengagement as an egg, like a female ovum in an ovary, restored confidence is the sperm. A re-engaged idea on life does not happen. The idea never takes root if you don't first restore confidence. (laughs) What do do I mean? Let's take somebody who has come at a season where they have lost their confidence in God. And you're asking them to re-engage life. Especially remember, reengage life God's way. They're gonna tell you why. God don't care about me. Why? God don't don't not is not there in my circumstance. He's never been there for my situation, he's never been there for my condition. God don't know me. He don't know what I'm going through. Why should I re engage life God's way? If you don't build that confidence, if you don't restore that confidence, you're never going to get somebody to re-engage. going it, not God's way. What about restoring your confidence that your life is worth living? If you don't believe that your life is worth living or your life has value the way God says it, you know what you won't do? You won't start to re-engage life with an interest of dealing with your health the way you're supposed to. You'll keep eating what you want to eat. You'll keep not exercising like like you're not exercising. You'll keep doing those habits that are bad for you. You will not re-engage life with the idea that my life has value, value enough to stop eating the junk, to stop putting my body through because my life is worth living. Just because you're breathing does not mean you are doing things to sustain life. When you get confidence that your life let's do it say it like this is worth it, then you will get interest in getting your health right. You will get interest in getting your relationships right. You will get interest in getting your mind right. You will stop letting any kind of information get poured into you at all times of day and all times of night. You will stop watching that screaming mess. They they don't even know who you are. Why are you letting them sow into your life? Granted, let's even let's even kind of admit some of the stuff is entertaining. Some of the stuff is interesting. But what you are doing is you are fostering a habit that supports them. They get paid when you watch. They increase when you watch. They buy cars when you watch. They buy a new house when they watch. They expand their tents when you watch. And all the time you're doing nothing and getting nowhere, helping them get somewhere. You will never re-engage your life and get that jump right the way you're supposed to if you don't get the confidence restored that your life is worth it. You won't do it. Until you get restored confidence that others are worth helping, you are not going to engage or re-engage life with any kind of effort to help other people. They need to get dead like you got yours. I work hard for mine. Let them work hard for theirs. Nobody pick me up. I pick myself up by my own bootstraps. Let them help themselves. I don't just give away my hard-earned money. I don't just go and help people I don't know. I don't let people, anybody in my car. If you don't have a restored belief, that God wants you to be communal. That God wants you to help with each other and share with each other and support each other and be a, 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 a hedge of protection and a prayer gap for each other. You won't put any effort in helping other people. So we start with restore because restoring is the sperm to reengagement over That being stated, family, let's step off into restore. This year, we don't want to get into the year without giving you more of an idea of what we mean by this vision. We're going to talk about today how the Bible says that God is there and that He knows. next image. Remember that a key scripture in the restore category is Psalm 139. Today is very Bible study-ish. We're going to go through and identify the things that God shared with me as I wrote down that vision for us. We're going to be talking through the Message Bible and the Voice Bible. The first one, verse that I read is from the Message. The second one that I read is from the Voice. Starting off with Psalm 139, verse 1. The Message says, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. The Voice, O Eternal One, you have explored my heart and know exactly who I am. Notice the difference there. The Message Bible says God investigate, almost like inviting God in, asking God to come in, giving God permission to come in and review all the details of who you are. The voice is a little different. It's past tense. God, you've already explored who I I am. And God, you know exactly who I am. The voice, in my opinion, is more specific and more direct. And if I can use this word, comparing two Bible versions, more accurate because God already knows you. But what I like about the message version is there is a special, deep relational connection between a person and God when a person has the mindset of giving God permission to come in. God, I invite you into my life to investigate. I invite you into my life to learn about me firsthand. Inviting God in is in effect putting your life before him as a living sacrifice. That family is a deeper connection. Verse 2, the message says, I am an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. The voice, you even know the small details like when I take a seat and when I stand up again. Even when I am far away, you know what I'm thinking. I mean, God's always there. It says that you are and I am an open book to you. So God God looks at you, and when he looks at you, there is nothing about you that surprises him. Nothing about you surprises God. And you need to know that God even knows the small details. Mm. When we talk about the small details, understand that once I know the small details about you, I am getting really close to knowing exactly who you are. And that's me as a person. God knows the small, small, small details about you. He knows exactly who you are. That is why God is in the best position to guide and lead us. God knows who you are. Exactly. He knows why you talk the way you talk. He knows why you do what you do. He knows why you think like you think. Hey, he knows why you lie like you lie. He knows like why you flirt like you flirt. He knows why you serve like you serve. He knows why you give like you give. He knows why you do what you do. God knows. And get this. Let me say me, I might consciously or subconsciously lie to others or even myself about why I do what I do or why I say what I say or why I did what I did. But God knows the real. I can't fake it with God why I do or say or act anyway because he knows exactly Who I am. And he knows exactly who I am because he is genuinely concerned about the details, the small details of my life. Jesus once said this in in, in Luke. The next image, Matthew or Luke, it was Matthew In Matthew 10, the voice, verse twenty nine through thirty one. Jesus says this, look. If you sold a few sparrows, how much money would you get? A copper coin apiece, perhaps? And yet your father in heaven knows when those small sparrows fall to the ground. You, beloved, are worth so much more than a whole flock of sparrows. God knows everything about you, even the number of hairs on your head. So do not fear. Family, God has not forgotten about you. God is there looking at the small details of your life. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. You need to never, ever let your mind even come up with the thought, That God has somehow taken you and put put you on the back corner, on His shelf in the closet behind those purses and shoes that you never wear, that you never that that you that that you that you that you you bought and 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 never do anything with. God God hadn't put you up there in the in that place with the stuff that still got the tags on it. That's just God hadn't done that to you and forgotten that you was up there. God hadn't put you in a little shoebox and put you under His bed, and then let dust bunnies get all on, and then only find you one day when He vacuumed and said, "Oh, I, I forgot Benjamin was under there." That's not God. Don't do that. God has not God has not forgotten about you. Even the number of your hairs on your head has His interest. How can you think that God somehow is not there? The next song. Verses three and four in Psalm 139, the message. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. Verse three in the voice. You observe my wanderings and my sleeping, my waking and my dreaming, and you know everything I do in more detail than even I know. Family, you are never out of God's sight. You are never out. God always see you. He where you. He see what's going on with you at all times. God is conscious of your everyday, ordinary, walking around life all the time. For us as believers, as Christians, as church folk, What we tend to do is call out to God during an anomaly in life. Call out to God when things get undesirable, when events get a little taxing. We like to call on the name that's above all names when things ain't going right. But God don't just show up. God is just not there during the unusual times of your life. God is there at all times. Always observing your wanderings. Sleeping. And I love how the voice says, God observes your waking and your dreaming. When we talk about God observes your dreaming, that implies that God, whether you want to believe it or not, knows your thoughts. With God knowing your thoughts, that means God knows and understands the life you're hoping for as well as he has a good picture of those things that tax and worry you in the mind that cause you to ponder and haunt you at night when you're trying to rest. He knows those things that give you restlessness up in your head. God knows that in more detail than even you know yourself. Verse four, you know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. The voice, you know what I'm going to say long before I say it. It is true, eternal one, that you know everything and everybody. Now, family, the idea that God knows what you're gonna say before you say it is a big deal. Because before you said that pleasant thing that you said to your wife or your husband or your child or your teacher or whatever you said to your friend, before you said that pleasant word, God knew you were going to say it. When you had a pleasant word to say, but they got on your nerves so you didn't release it, God saw it on your tongue. Now look at the other side of that coin. When you stared at that salesperson behind, behind the register and you cussed them out, because they keep trying to give you a dollar back in change, and you believe they owe you a 10? God knew you were going to cuss them out. <laughs> and when you, being the Christian soldier that you are, kept those words in your mouth, God saw them forming on the tip of your tongue. Now you get some credit for not calling them what you wanted to call them and you had a string of words that was nicely strung together. I mean, you were pro at it, you feel me? But he saw that chain forming on your tongue. And now I want you to say something with me though. Because the voice, when it talks about Everything and everyone. That is a critical statement. Say this with me. Say, God knows everything and everyone. Therefore, I must allow God to plan. And direct my life. What do I mean by that? Loved ones, God not only knows you, but he knows everyone and everybody and everything. If you have confidence in that, if we can restore your confidence in that, then you are more apt to give God permission to lead and guide you. And because he knows everything and everyone, once he has your life in his hands, guess what? God can lead you to purchase the right house. Because he knows everything and everyone. He knows the right realtors. He knows the right neighborhood. He knows what the economic conditions are going to be. He knows what your job condition is going to be. He knows everything and everyone so he can lead you to the right house. He can lead you to the right job. He can lead you to the right church. Ladies, he can lead you to the right husband. Fellas, He can lead you to the right wife. He can lead you to the right business venture. He can lead you to the right associations or friends. Because he knows everything and everyone. He can open the right doors. He can bring you before the right people. He can put you on the hearts of the correct people. And God knowing everything and everyone is a benefit to us as a believer that swings both ways. Because just like God can lead you to the right thing. He can veer you away from the wrong thing. Just like he can open a door. He can close the wrong door. Now, he can't keep us from tugging on the doorknob or the wrong door. We're not talking about that today. But God, because he knows everything and everyone, once you got confidence in that thing, you are more apt to allow him to direct your life. And my God, he can direct you to the right way and keep you from going in the wrong way. God can keep you from buying the wrong house. That house looks good when they walk you through it, but God is telling you something's wrong with it. God is telling you this neighborhood ain't right for you and your family. God is telling you this is not where you are right now in your financial life. God is telling you, God is telling you, and if you let him guide you because he knows everything and everyone, he's trying to tell you that is the wrong house. God can say that's the wrong job. You're going to get all the money you want, but you're going to lose your family in the process. You're going to get all the money uh, that you want, but you're going to be disconnected from your children. You're going to get all the money that you want, but you're going to leave me behind. God can direct you because he knows everything and everyone. God can direct you Mm, to the right church. Yes, I see that Everybody is going there, but that's not for you. Listen, not even saying they're doing anything wrong. They might be preaching the gospel, but it's not for you. As believers, we have to get to the place where we can hear what God is telling us to do. We don't just follow the herd. The herd may be going to an oasis, but we might get to that oasis and drown. That's not where God has us going. Ladies, God can tell you, don't you say I do to that man. That is the wrong husband for you. Oh, but you look at him. He's packaged like you like. And, and, and you got all the appropriate feelings so it can't I can't feel this way and it be wrong if loving you is wrong <laughs> I don't want to be right And you're, and you're debating with God. You're pulling on that door and God is trying to keep you out of that door because he knows everything and everybody. God knows who this guy is. He's seen him in the booth in the back in the dark. He's seen him when you're not there. But he's, you're, you're, you're trying to open that door. Don't you say I do to that man. But, 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 but God, I look at what he's doing for me. I look at how he treating me. I look at what he's saying to me. My mama even like him. I took him to the reunion and he was a hit. God is saying, don't marry that man. Don't marry that man. But God, and then God finally, if you listen, got to get raw with you and say, listen, That man, of course, he is saying what he believes and knows you want him to say. He is doing what he believes and knows you want him to do. He is acting the way he believes and knows you want him to act. Because he knows your desperation. He knows what you're what what you're what you're praying, believer, what you're praying for, because you've told the devil what you're praying for. So now he knows exactly how to play the role to get what he wants and what he wants in his heart. He's just he's just a cookie monster. And once he gets the cookie, he's done. That's all he wants. And he will say what he needs to say, do what he has to do, act what he needs to act until he can unwrap that cookie. And once he's done with it, he's done with you. Even go to the point of putting a ring on your finger, because in his mind, this whole thing is returnable. Marriage is not forever for him. His forever is until he gets what he wants. And once he gets what he wants, he moves on to the next forever. God is telling you, don't you say I do to him, but he's putting his best foot forward. God said, that's not even his foot. Let me tell you, I, 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 you guys know I have a daughter. And I've always been, I'm talking an unapologetic father to her as it relates to males of interest or as she was growing up and giving her, listen, I'm going to show her how she's supposed to be treated. I'm going to show her that she should be a queen. I'm going to show her how she should respect herself. I'm, gonna, I'm going to do that. Because let, let, me, let me change some of, the, some of the terminology that people have. People say, when you talk about first impressions, they say people put their best foot forward. Let me tell you, for some people, that is true. What they put forward is the best view of them. But for some people, that foot's not even them. Not everybody puts their best foot forward. But everybody puts A, best foot forward. You see, the foot they put in front of you may be a lie. Just putting it almost like a foot on a stick. They just, they doing what you want them to do. They saying what you want them to say. They got you read like an open book. Got you like a puppet on a string. Dangling a carrot in front of you, hoping you take the bait. whenever I get an opportunity to talk with younger ladies that have fathers, active fathers, good fathers, thank God for the good fathers, I always want them to know, because sometimes young ladies think that their dad's kind of crazy. When they have young men that are interested in them, when 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 their fathers are a certain way, when they see that dude, when they hear that dude talk, when they look at something in his eye, they, they get a certain way. But because the, I don't mean this word negatively, but because the young person is ignorant on certain things, they just think, "Oh, daddy, you just you just being mean." Oh, daddy, you just. Oh, daddy, you, just, you daddy, you just don't understand. Oh, he's fine, daddy. I know him from. But in that father's eye, he's staring at a cookie monster. And I see you for who you are, doggone it. And as a father myself, I sweep all wolves off my porch. If you stay on my porch too long, doggone it, tonight we having barbecued wolf. I'm not saying that the, that the, that the young man, or they may have great intentions, but as a father, I need to investigate you. And as a daughter, once again, if you've got a good daddy. You need to give him permission to sift. Because if the young person or the older person or the dude, if he can't stand the sifting. He's not for you. Now keep it and keep keep in mind, I want to keep caveat, a good daddy. Some daddies think ain't nobody good enough. I mean, you could go to you know you could go to the other extreme. And I believe we are mature enough to understand what I'm trying to say. And the same thing happens as, you know, you guys, ladies, you're you're because I'm your pastor, you're my spiritual daughters. The same thing applies to you. Whoever you have an interest in, they're going to put a best foot forward. What you need to do is make sure because God knows everything and everyone that he's not saying, don't you say I do to that man. "Don't, Don't you say, by the way, fellas, God can tell you, don't you say I do to that woman. Package like you like. But don't you do it. Enter that engagement at your own risk. There you are tugging on that door. Trying to find a key that works. And eventually, if you open it, when you get in it, now, here you are at the altar asking God why. You know why. If God was, was, was on the raw, he'd be like, you opened the door. You did it to yourself. I told you no. But you told, you told me you was going to say yeah. And I said okay. We get the idea that God somehow is standing in front of us like, Holding us back. You, you are, as you've all learned for many years here at the ministry, a free moral agent. You have latitude, you have freedom. And latitude and freedom can be a good thing, or if you don't know how to handle it, can be a bad thing. God can direct you to the right business venture, knowing everything and everybody where to put your money, where to start, how to start. Don't start this way, start that way. But if you decide you want to just, because everybody else starts this way and you want to jump out and start that way, when God said that's not the way you're supposed to start, guess what? You get what you get. God can direct you to the right friends and move you away from the wrong friends. I know they seem like good folk, But they really are a bunch of poisonous vipers. And if you let them get close, a viper will strike. How many people have you, listen, this happened to me. That you befriend somebody and they gave you all the right signals, but you just jumped in too quick and you end up getting bit. And when you get bit, it leaves a sting that guess what? Res, res, re, re, dissolves your confidence in friendship and you need to have that confidence restored before you can re-engage people as friends. It's, it's, it's a cycle. Next one. Psalm 139 verse 5 in the message. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead, and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. The voice, you have surrounded me on every side, behind me and before me, and you have placed your hand gently on my shoulder. Let's go ahead and do verse six. The message, this is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. The voice says, it is the most amazing feeling to know how deeply you know me inside and out. The realization of it is so great. I cannot comprehend it. Family, God is always a reassuring presence in your life. Let me give you an image of that, though, because when you when you see that, I'm gonna tie it to something that you are familiar with, but then we're going to expand it. I want I want you to come up, you to come up, please, Miss Charlotte, come up, Mr. Reginald, can you come up? I want you to stand in fr- in front of me. The Bible says in a voice, Miss Charlotte, stand. On my left side, you stand behind me, you stand on my right side. The Bible says in the voice, God, you have surrounded me on every side. So that means God is, as it says, you are behind me. You are before me. And you are on every side. What you are accustomed to hearing is Psalms 5 that God will bless the righteous and he will encompass or enshield or surround them with favor as with a shield. So that the favor of God surrounds you on every side. The same David said that, by the way, that said this. However, the voice says, God is surrounding you on every side. Not favor. God. God is surrounding you. Although David once said the favor of God surrounds him like a shield. The reality is in David's day. His view was God surrounds me like a shield. And when God surrounds you like a shield, everything God is and has surrounds you like a shield. Not only does favor surround you like a shield, but because God is there, his wisdom surrounds you like a shield. His joy surrounds you like a shield. His peace surrounds you like a shield. His provision surrounds you like a shield. Everything God is surrounds you like a shield because God's presence is an ever present existence around you. That's David's view. In our dispensation, though, God does not surround us. The spirit of God is intertwined with our spirit on the inside with the Holy Spirit. So wherever you go, God himself is there. Not surrounding you like a shield, but in you like a shield. Not surrounding you with his presence, but in you as a presence. In you is his favor. In you is his joy. In you is his provision. In you is his everything is in you. How we live is so much greater than how David saw the world. And the voice. When it says you have placed your shoulder gently, your hand gently on my shoulder. Family, that's a reassuring presence. Hallelujah. You know, everybody just put a hand on my shoulder. You could turn around a little bit and put a hand on my shoulder. There is a power and a reassuring touch. And with God on the inside of you, his hand is never off of your life. He is always in touch with you. A reassuring touch Get the confidence to engage. I can remember there are times when my children were young and even as they were older but in particular when they were young when they were doing an activity and they had a little feel that they might lose some confidence learning how to swim playing a sport not getting it right trying to figure something out in school. You know there were there were moments, there were moments that I would walk up to that child, let's say they're standing by the pool. You know how it is. Take it, take it from someone who, listen, you guys don't know this, Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Greta are not swimmers. Now get this. We want to be, and we're gonna be, but we're not. And let me tell you something. You know what? This, this is a rabbit trail, but let me tell you this. Don't y'all go hold hold this example. Let me tell you this. When I was young, my mom put me in swimming. I was a little kid. Me, my brother, and my sister. I'm the youngest of three. And when I read, because I asked God before. During that season of my life, what happened? Because I've never attempted something and not ever completed it in my life. And he played back something to me, and I want to share it with you, just here off the rip. I remember growing up, and my my mom and others, my aunties and different people, who didn't swim put the fear of God in me about water. Don't go too close to that edge. You're going to fall and you're going to drown. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, was, it was so many statements like that that when that coach, Coach Dabney, who taught so many people in our community to swim, it's not funny. He was, a, he was an icon, knew how to swim back and forth. When that man put me in there, although everybody else was trying, in my mind, all I kept hearing is, you're going to drown. You're going to drown. You're going to drown. Parents, do not seed in your children's minds things because you fear them that will cause them to fear. You are hindering them. Allow their success in an area to give you courage to overcome your own fear. But where am I going with that? When they were were swimming, and keep in mind, Greg and I made the commitment that because we grew up in a certain era, that before our children could walk good, we wanted them to be little fish. And so we started them young. They were in the elementary school or in Eric's case right before, but as early as we could, we put them in. And they are very good today. Just wonderful. Even thought about the swim team at one time, but getting up at 5 a.m. wasn't for her. <laughs> but talking about a reassuring touch, There are times where, for example, your child is standing there at the tip of that pool, toes hanging over the edge, and you know the thoughts in their head because you had them. As a father, simply going over, not saying a word, but just either putting my hand on their head or putting my hand on their back, they looking at me and me smiling down at them. And walking away gave them the courage because they knew their father was present. And they knew that their father would not put them in a position of harm. And they knew that their father would not be asking them to do this if he didn't believe that they could. So with the image that God's on the inside of you and all of him is on the inside of you, and his reassuring touch is always on your life. It should give you courage to reengage life God's way. Thank you. Family, and knowing that God not just surrounds you on every side, but is in you should be the most amazing feeling. It should give you a joy and a courage on the inside. It should help dispel thoughts that God is not there. It should help dispel thoughts that God doesn't know who you are. It should help dispel thoughts that, guess what? God is somehow not worth the relationship anymore. Next one. Verse 7 and 8, the message. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. The voice. Can I go anywhere? The answer, by the way, is no. You can't go any place. You can't go anywhere. But can I go anywhere apart from your spirit? Is there anywhere I can go to escape your watchful presence? If I go up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the realm of the dead, you are there. Family, there's no way you can go to get away from God. That's why God's always there. If we look at this in general sense, verse eight is saying. If I go anywhere above the surface of the earth. I can't escape God. If I go deep beneath the surface of the earth, I can't escape him. He's there. The voice uses the word heaven and realm of the dead. If we were to take those to be literal places of heaven, and if we were to take realm of the dead to be hell, then there is even no place in the spirit realm you can go to escape God. God is there. God is always there. Look at verses eight, nine. I mean, nine and ten. Now, we've talked about any place above the surface of the earth, any place below the surface of the earth. But look at these verses. Verse nine and ten in the message. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. The voice. If I ride on the wings of morning, if I make my home in the most isolated part of the ocean, even then you will be there to guide me. Your right hand will embrace me for you are always there. Now, that first part starting off with morning's wings is interesting. Before we get into that, though, look at where it says the most isolated part. The sky and beneath the earth, you can't escape them. But if you go to the most isolated part on the earth, somewhere far out in the ocean in the middle of nowhere, you still can't escape them because God going to be there. Morning's wings is an image that I want you to grasp because has anyone ever witnessed a sunrise? So when you witness a sunrise, it's dark, it's dark, it's dark, and all of a sudden there's light. The same way if you're in a a room that's pitch black and you turn on the lamp. The light is on in an instant. It just shows up. So in essence, if you were to fly As fast as the morning sunlight. If you were to try to move at the speed of light, you can't outrun God. The message Bible say. If you try to run at the speed of light. When you get there. God going to be there waiting for you. No matter how fast you run, no matter how far you go away, when you get there, you're going to find who God's already there. Not for you to answer, but just to ponder. How many people have been failing to reengage life because they have been attempting to hide or run from God? something you can't do. The truth is if they're trying to hide or run from God, somewhere in their life they've lost confidence. And for them to re-engage they must first get that confidence back. Verse 10 in the voice says that God will be there to guide me and embrace me and he's always there. As David writes this it's very reminiscent Of his 23rd song. Notice. You've read this all your life in church. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 and verse 6 in the voice says this that same David, the saying God is always there, says, Certainly your faithful protection and loving provision will pursue me where I go. Always everywhere. Yes, God. Thank you, I will always be with the eternal in your house forever. Family, God is always there and He knows. He knows everything and everybody. Last Psalm for the day. For Psalm 139, this is where we're gonna pause. After verse 11 and 12, we're going to call it a day and pick up this psalm next week. The Message Bible, verse 11, says. Then I said to myself, oh, he oh, he even sees me in the dark at night. I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light. They're all the same to you. The voice, even if I'm afraid and think to myself, there is no doubt that the darkness will swallow me. The light around me will soon be turned to night. That's what you're thinking. You can still see in the dark for it is not dark to your eyes. For you, the night is just as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to your eyes. Now, let's quickly pick this apart. The voice says, sometimes there is no doubt that I'm thinking that the darkness will swallow me and that the light around me will turn to night. are times you can find yourself in situations that it looks like you're going to be consumed. There is no way out. God has left me. I'm in this by myself. I'm going to fail. I'm going to lose everything. What is important to me, I will no longer have. You can be in that situation and find yourself afraid, afraid and or crying. If you hadn't been there, as my daddy used to tell me, keep living. Life. Ha- Life happens. But even, even when you think. Even through your tears. You think that the darkness will swallow you. Know that God is there. And with God being there. And knowing that God is light. Even in your darkest hour you are always immersed in the light. Always. And when you are afraid and or cry. Because God knows. Don't you let anybody convince you that your tears are evidences that you are weak or faithless. Just because you cry, it don't mean necessarily that you're weak. It don't necessarily mean that you're faithless. What it means is that you're human. There are are moments in life that just hit you a certain way That make you feel a certain way. But during those moments. You need to know. That you are immersed. In the light. God has gone nowhere. God is still there. He's still concerned. About the small details. Of your life. And everything that we've gone through. Through verse 1 through 12. The theme that I want you to walk away with is that God is there and God knows. Remember a part of that restore category in its group of scriptures is Hebrews 13 and 5. And we close with this. Which says In the voice, verses five through six, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because he, meaning God, has said, I will never leave you. I will always be by your side. Because of this promise, we may boldly say the Lord is my help. I won't be afraid of anything. How can anyone harm me? The Amplified Classic loved ones. Verse five, let your character, character and moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust and craving for earthly possessions and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have for he God himself has said. Here we go, family. God himself has said, I will not. What are those three words? Amen. Say it like you got life in your lungs. In any way, God says, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not. I will not. I will not. What are those words? In any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. God's there. His reassuring presence is on the shoulder of your heart every moment of every day. Verse six. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say the Lord is my helper. In David's case, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. I will not think that the night will consume me. I will not think that I will be swallowed up by my situation because I am always immersed in the light. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man or life or the devil or a situation or circumstance or a condition do to me? I'm not saying that things won't happen in your life, but don't you dare believe that while you're going through, God is not going through with you. He's always there, family, and he always knows. We will pick up on Restore next time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person being present and open to hear what it is you have to say we love you god and our prayer today simply is if in us there is a part of us that have lost that has lost confidence Confidence that you're there. Confidence that you know. Confidence that a deep, close, intimate relationship with you is essential. If somehow we've lost confidence in that, that is keeping us from reengaging and living this life your way, We ask that through your spirit and our permission, you move it out of the way. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you. Not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. But we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.